Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11? John 8, 1 through 11. If you need a Bible, we've got some ushers coming down the aisles. Raise your hand. They'll get one in your hand. You can borrow it. You can keep it. You can give it away. That would be great. We encourage everyone to be in the Word, whether it's on electronics or in a hard copy. Um, Please join us there, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We're in the series called True or False. There used to be a TV show on, uh, on, I don't know if it's still on or not, it used to called Mythbusters. You remember that show? They, they take things that, that may or may not be scientifically possible and through different trial and error, they put it to the test. Things like, is it possible to water ski behind a cruise ship? Don't know. Is it possible to drop a couple of sticks of dynamite into a lake and then go surfing? Is it possible to lift a car off the ground uh, 15 feet by using 10 fire hoses? So they would do all kinds of crazy things like that to put it to the test. But in the end, they announced whether the the test uh, was busted, plausible, or confirmed. Well, to answer our true or false questions we've been asking over the past uh, several weeks, unlike the TV show, we're not using science to help us conclude or come uh, to an answer, but we're using the truth of God's word, making a great attempt to answer some of the very tough questions about life and about God. So we're gonna dive right in. Number one, if you're following along, is this. My past affects the way that God uses me. The first one is false. Every one of us use gauges and measurements in determining the value for the future based on the past, right? We do this all the time. Of course we do. If a dog had a history of biting, would you bring it home as a pet? If a car had an oil leak and the transmission kept going out, would you buy the car? If a house had water problems in the basement, would you even consider it? The truth of the matter is, from our perspective, the past does affect how we choose to view things and use things. To understand why it is false, first we need to understand and we need to revisit God's grace. First things first, allow me to set us all at ease. Please understand that we have have all missed the mark with God. Turn to the person next to you and say, you missed the mark. We are all on the same playing field. We're all equal. When God looks at us, he sees us all the same. None of us got a 4.0 spiritual report card. None of us are his favorites. None of us are able to meet all of the requirements on our own. None of us are qualified on our own. We have all failed his standards. There's no brown nosing with God. He doesn't take notice of overachievers any more than anyone else. We've all fallen short of the glory of God according to Romans 3.23. Praise God. Praise God that he was unwilling to just turn and walk away from us, leaving us in that place, in that condition. All of us in our, what we call BC or before Christ days, lived a life apart from God. We lived distant from God because of our choices, because of our our lifestyle. Some of us were in the next county, you know, we're all distant. Some of us were just in the next county, but some of us were international travelers, if you know what I mean. We're that far away. 
For us to even attempt to answer the question at hand this morning, I just want us to understand that at one point in time we were all sinners and a great distance from God. John 8, 1 through 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this time, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. There's some key takeaways in that passage, and let me just share a few of them with you. Number one, Jesus reminds us we will all encounter Pharisees who are quicker to pick up a rock than care enough to get close enough to offer us hope. Secondly, Jesus always levels the playing field through, this, through his gentle and sometimes not so gentle reminders that, that no one is without sin. Third, Jesus never leaves the scene. He stays in the mess with a message of hope. Jesus always reminds us that there's no condemnation in him. Jesus always directs us towards repentance. It was early in the morning. The sun was coming up and Jesus had gone to his normal place and, and he wanted to teach the people. And he sat down and, and, he, and he began to teach and then all of a sudden in the back of this crowd there's, there's all this commotion that starts to take place. And people are kind of starting to turn around wondering what in the world is going on and, and, and little by little the crowd just began to part and open up and then here they come the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and they say Jesus looky here look what we found this woman was caught in adultery I mean we just went in and, and we drug her out of her room and brought her before you here she is naked so you could see she was caught in adultery what are you gonna do Jesus Need we remind you, according to the law, we're supposed to stone her to death. Shall we have her just stand over here so we can all throw stones at her? And Jesus said, hold on a second. And he bit down and in the dirt, in the sand, he began to write and some have speculated that, that what he wrote was Andy. And then he began to list all of my sins. And then they looked and they're like, that, that's my name. And then went away. And Jesus said again, hey, who, who, who's without sin, go ahead. 
I understand what the law is. Go ahead. You go first. He started to write again. Lori. It was short list, but he started writing. And Lori's like, that's my name. And she went away. And there they all stood still holding rocks. And one by one, they all left. And Jesus then stood before the woman and he said, is there no one left? And she said, no one. Has no one condemned you? No one. Then neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. Condemnation is not in God's dictionary. No matter how awful of a person we think we have been or maybe we think that that we are, as a child of God, we have been made holy and we've been made righteous in his sight. If anyone had a right to condemn us, it would be Jesus, a man who was perfect in every way, a man without sin, the son of God. He He had the standard of life by which we have every right to be condemned when we're held up next to it. But look closely at his hands. There are no stones. Only scars. He is full of grace. He's full of mercy. He fails to give us what we really deserve. And get this, he overwhelms us with what we do not deserve. And we ask, how in the world can that be? We all have a tainted past. There isn't an innocent person in this room. There isn't an innocent person joining us online. There's not one who doesn't deserve to have Jesus just pick up a whole handful of rocks and pummel us to death. One right after another. We're all imperfect. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up and still mess up. It's hard to understand, isn't it? I am the wretch that the song talks about. We are the wretch that the song talks about. Without a wretch, the grace is not so amazing. His hands are empty. He holds no stones. Matt and Julie, would you guys come on up? This is Matt and Julia Solom. If you haven't had a chance to meet them, I encourage you to do so. What a wonderful uh, couple. What a blessing you guys are to so many. And you've been to me and and to Lori and I as well. Um, Thanks for being here uh, this morning. And thanks for being vulnerable with us and sharing your story. I've heard parts of it. I know it's a really powerful story. Why don't you guys take uh, a minute, tell us a little bit about your life BC before Christ and what it was like when you came to Christ. Yeah, so I can start. I grew up going to church, but I wasn't a Christian. I heard a lot about forgiveness. I heard a lot about salvation, but I didn't hear about sin. I didn't hear about why I needed to be saved. 
it was a half gospel and it didn't make sense to me. And I started looking elsewhere to get my questions answered. And the first place that I looked where there was a serious consideration of the questions that I was asking was from atheists. And I went full bore into what they were telling me. I read their books, I, I listened to their discussions and their debates with Christians, and I believed all of it. I believed that the Bible was written by uneducated people thousands of years ago and that it had no application today. I believed that God was evil and malicious even for uh, all the suffering in the world. I believed lie after lie. And it, it's worth noting that I believed these things not because I was tricked or I stumbled into this, but, and it wasn't conscious, but it was because I loved my sin. And atheism justifies your sin. There's no judgment, there's no accountability, there's nothing, anything is permissible. And I had my sins, I had a lot of pride, a great deal of pride, arrogance and lies. I had lust, greed, anger, hatred, and I didn't like the consequences of those things, but I loved those things for myself. And so I wanted to keep them. And I was about 14 when I would call myself an atheist for the first time. And I stayed that way for a very long time. A little ways into college, I met my now wife, Julia, and she wasn't a believer either. And we both had our sins and we hurt each other in, in big ways because of that. And something was missing from our relationship but eventually we cobbled it together enough where we decided to get married. And in premarital counseling, uh, we took an assessment and it told us that our spiritual life was basically nothing, which is what you would expect from an atheist. And that, <laughs> that didn't bother me so much in one way, but in another way it did bother me because we wanted to have kids and we were thinking about what we might teach them. And atheism didn't seem like a very good thing to teach. It was teaching somebody to not believe in something. You have to have something positive. And so that kind of woke us up and we decided we were going to look into religion again. All of them, actually. But we, we started with the Bible that we had never read before, neither of us. And so we started reading that and over a period of a, a, about a year, we were reading the Bible and we were uh, getting into a small group and we were looking for churches but we still weren't Christians, we were still resisting the truth and we were uh, getting better in some ways as we were convicted of truth in the Bible and my, my atheism was slowly being dismantled by the truth of God's word through that and my arguments were falling apart. But we were still resisting. And it was a little while after we came to Bethel that we, and we made it our church home, that we had heard the gospel clearly enough for long enough and we had been reading the Bible and it's true that uh, what Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to uh, penetrate to even soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judging the intentions of the heart. It, <laughs> I felt that and I was filled with sorrow at the true understanding that my sin was crimes against God, thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of them, that put the death penalty on my head. And I had heard the gospel clearly enough to know that Jesus Christ had taken all of those sins and paid the price for that on the cross, taking that death penalty unto himself and offering me the free gift of eternal life. And when I finally submitted to that and I repented and I trusted in that, there was a light switch moment 
and everything changed. All those sins that I was just intellectually trying to resist before, I now hated. I genuinely hated them. And the righteousness that I was indifferent to before, I loved. <laughs> and I wanted to be more like Christ. And that was my own personal miracle. And I'm sure if you ask any Christians in the room, they would tell you about the same thing. That's what we call regeneration. So that, that light switch that you're, that you're talking about. Um, what a powerful story to go from being an atheist to a believer. Yeah, that's so, thank you for sharing that. Julie, how about you? Yeah. Uh, first, it just it was, it was such a amazing experience to watch this transformation before my eyes. Like, and we were kind of going along um, the path at the same time, and so experiencing it internally, but also then watching it unfold in, in my husband was, uh, what a blessing. Um, I had a similar kind of experience with church, um, where I was also raised in the church, and I uh, really knew about God's love. And I never doubted that. I knew from a young child that God loved me. I knew that Jesus died for my sins, but I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I didn't, we didn't really talk about sin very much at church, and I didn't know what sin I had. I didn't know why someone needed to die for sin. I don't know why Jesus could die for my sin. Um, so as Matt said, like it wasn't really compelling. And I also, um, in high school and then really in college, started to look towards the world and other religions to see what they had to offer. Um, and that led me into um, more sin and a deepening of the other sin that I, that I already had. And ultimately, it did look like a rejection of God. And I, I kind of made God into my own image. And so there was idolatry. There was pride, manipulation, deceit, a dishonoring of my sexuality, a use of drugs and alcohol, a perverse mouth. The list could go on, um, but you get the point. I was riddled with sin, um, and I had been so confused um, that I didn't, I didn't recognize my need for a Savior. And I think the structure of going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and doing everything that I was supposed to do and living in um, a home that was pretty stable and, and my desire to please people kind of kept me in that space of not recognizing my need. Um, so when I went off out into the world and started to kind of figure it out for myself, that's when I kind of recognized through um, how it made me feel. I was so anxious. I was just numb also and, and lost and angry and that's when I met Matt. Um, so great time to meet a husband. Um, but as he kind of unpacked that, I'll, I'll skip ahead to, to coming to Bethel. There was certainly a lot of uh, conviction and change that happened leading up to this point. But I, I remember so clearly a couple years ago that fall, every single time we came to church on Sunday, um, I was just broken open. Every Sunday, I would just be weeping. I, I started to understand the weight of my sin um, and, and how holy God is that even white lies are not permissible in His presence. And so everything about me was just utterly sinful and in desperate need for a Savior. And because Jesus is without sin, um, he can take that, and he, he did. He took my past, my present, and my future sins upon himself and was able to offer the perfect sacrifice. And because God is just and merciful, he allows Jesus to do that. Um, and so that gift of grace was just something I could, I could not afford to, to leave on the table. 
So that smorgasbord of searching that you described, uh, that phrase, deepening the sins you're already familiar with, but also finding new sins uh, before Christ can resonate um, with all of us, for sure. So the title this morning is, My Past Affects the Way That God Uses Me. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. I have a specific thing that comes to mind. So uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago, um, I had started my master's in counseling, and this is before any of this journey with Christ. And so Christian counseling was not on my radar at all, um, and I had done a secular education, and I was in a secular internship at the time uh, when we were really feeling that, like, drawing. And I started to question um, if this was... I guess I started to question just counseling in general. Like, it started to feel so empty without the hope of Jesus, without the hope of eternal life. And I can't heal people. And so it just felt like, what am I doing here? Um, I started to wonder if God was calling me into Christian counseling, and I it terrified me. It felt I felt so inadequate. It felt too big, too fast. Um, like, surely not me. I have so, such a sinful past, and... Um, since I was still wrestling with at that time in big ways. And so, anyway, I got a job offer um, at my internship, and I prayed about it for months, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to take this job offer. If God wants me somewhere else, he'll pivot me. Uh, the pivot came a week later. And so I had a meeting with Valley Christian Counseling Center, and um, in the meeting, I got a job offer, and that really caught me off guard. And I remember sharing so intimately with her that, I just didn't feel like I was a good enough Christian. I hadn't been a Christian long enough. We were like in the process of reading the Bible, like in learning, and it just, I disqualified myself. Um, and so sitting in that space, she looks at me and says, Julia, that sounds like a lie straight from the enemy. I just met this woman and I'm suddenly just weeping in her office, just like the truth of that statement just smacked me. I was believing the lies of the enemy and that, that it was all focused on me. And it's not about me. It is about God. Um, and so I, I am inadequate. That's the whole point. I need God. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. And, and so I did eventually accept the offer at Valley, and I have been there for over a year. Um, and I have been witness to amazing work that God is doing. Um, but yes, does my past affect the way God is using me? Absolutely, absolutely. He humbles me consistently in that. Um, he reminds me of his amazing pursuit that sometimes just feels impossible. Um, and he's increased my empathy. And, and a big part of that is um, because of my sinful past, um, I can relate to a lot of things, um, a lot of terrible things. And it's worth noting that that's, in no way am I grateful for my sin. It would have been better to have never known. And yet God has repurposed that, and God doesn't waste anything, and he is using that um, to meet people in, in dark and in scary places. Um, and so I, nothing that I have done um, can, can disqualify me from being a kingdom builder because it is just simply not about Julia. It is all about God. Mm. That's powerful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I think I can talk to it uh, maybe a little more generally for me. Um, when I consider my past and God using me, it's really an emotional barrier for me. 
my past? I think, well, first it's fear. I'm afraid that I'm inadequate. I'm afraid people will think I'm a hypocrite for who I was and the sin that I had and going and trying to do righteous things now, trying to do God's will now, that I'll be rejected. All kinds of fears spring up. But it doesn't and it, it can't stop me. And that's the important part, that those are just my feelings. And I think of the Apostle Paul, actually, and he, he had one heck of a past. He persecuted the church. He approved of the murder of Christians. Yet God chose him. And God chose to use him. And if he can use Paul, the worst of sinners, he can use me. So as you look around, there's no doubt probably people in this room right now that are disqualifying themselves. They're thinking, there's no way God can use me with my past. What would you want to say to them? Just a sentence or two. Yeah. Every single Christian is in the same boat as Andy said, that we are all sinners before we come to Christ. And it's him who does the work in us. And we have our feelings about our past, and then there's the truth about what God wants to use us for. And our feelings might be fear, and we might be disqualifying ourselves, but the truth is in God's word, and we have to know it, and we have to t remind ourselves of it constantly, that God can and will use every one of us. There's no one that's a Christian that won't be used by God. Hmm. Amen. Good. Yeah, that's uh, I will add something. Uh, if you're resonating with this, chances are you, you probably also need to hear, it's not about you. It's about God. And so the whole purpose, and the, the whole point of being transformed is that we get out of the way. Our prayer has to be that we may decrease, that Christ may increase in us. And so it, it's not about your inadequacy. It's not about your fear. It's not about your past. It's not about your sin. It's not about your shame. It's not about you. And so the minute we get out of the way, we can allow Christ in. We can allow the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. We just have to, have to surrender that to him. Thank you for sharing. Guys, this is Matt and Julia Solo. If you haven't met them, I encourage you to, uh, they're gonna stick around down front after the service, just come and, and say hi to them. And thank you for sharing your story and your powerful testimony. I know that my prayer has been that the Spirit of God would just use it to resonate um, uh, in different people's hearts and, and lives in different ways. So can I pray for you guys? God, thank you for uh, Matt and Julia. Thank you, Lord, for their testimony and just um, the clear uh, presentation of the gospel in their words of who they were before Christ and then what it meant when they came to Christ and then, um, Lord, how you're using them in powerful ways. Thank you for their transformation. Thank you for the blessing they are um, to so many. And just it's just been fun to get to know them even more. And um, Lord, I know that you want to use them. I know their story will resonate with people in this room and those online and just as they go about their daily lives, give them strength and courage um, Lord, and sustain them as they continue to fix their eyes on you. And uh, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Secondly, um, just a little bit shorter, my past affects the way God uses me, and uh, Julia kind of mentioned this. Um, it's true, it does. 
Romans 8.28 in just a second. We're reminded in Romans 8.28 that nothing in this life can hinder God's work in us. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I think, I think this is a, it's a great reminder to revisit what we already know, or what many of us already know. Because sometimes we allow life to get in the way of what we know. Sometimes our faith is shaken and we forget what we know. What do we know? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What do we know? God will not walk away from something that he started. He does not procrastinate. He does not cut corners. He is faithful every time to complete what he has started. What do we know? The things that we go through in life, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, God uses them for our good and for his glory. No one ever said that becoming like Jesus or going through the transformational process is a cakewalk. No one ever said that. And the second part of this verse, who have been called according to his purpose, every true believer has been called, drawn by the work of the Holy Spirit. Not for one's own purpose, but according to his purpose. I want, you to, I want you to listen to this statement, and they both alluded to this in their testimony. Maybe you've never thought about it this way. Our salvation is not about us. You are saved for his purpose. You are saved for his glory. We need to let God finish what he has started. I don't know where you are at in your relationship with Christ right now, but if you have crawled down off of the potter's wheel, so, so to speak, that, that Romans 8.28 is this invitation to get back up on the wheel. Because one way or another, he will finish his work, the work that he started. We can either insist on that God does it our way or we can get out of the way. God uses your past your trials, your shortcomings, your temptations, your sins, not to disqualify you. No, there are pieces of the puzzle that God uses to prepare and position you for his purposes. Despite all of your mistakes and failures, God is still willing to take you, and I like to think of this like this etch-a-sketch, to take you, to shake you, and to make you. How does God view your past? Just like the word says, the past. Nothing in this life goes unused. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What does that, that confidence, it means full assurance, full assurance knowing that God's work began for us when Jesus died on the cross and in us when we surrendered our life to him as Lord and Savior. There are times in our lives when, when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves questioning and wrestling, and even times when we're out of fellowship with God. Be confident, knowing that once you are in Christ, none of those things can remove you from the assurance of that salvation and that relationship. He began a good work in us, a good work to make us happy, a good work to give you whatever you want, a good work to make our lives easy. The answer to those questions, none of the above a good work to adopt us and redeem us, a good work to seal us 
in Christ. A good work to free us from condemnation. A good work to call us a child of his own. A good work to free us from slavery. How did the lyrics go? Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did he ever leave us alone. God is faithful. Max Lucado wrote in his book, Just Like Jesus, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us so much that he refuses us to leave us that way. The word complete means to perform. In other words, to perform in us whatever is necessary to accomplish his goal. Let me leave you with this one thing. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9, and this is what it says. I want you just to imagine this for a second. You're going about your life, your day. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the powerful testimony that we've been able to, to listen to and be a part of this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your name has been lifted high and the gospel has been so abundantly clear. And I pray, oh God, that if there are people here this morning and those who are hearing my voice, um, who are online, through the radio, God, that the Holy Spirit is stirring in them right now. For those who don't know you personally, Lord, that there is this calling, this drawing, the work of the Holy Spirit is working. And for those of us who are believers, but maybe we've strayed or we're uh, out of fellowship, so to speak, with you, and Lord, that um, you are calling us back. Thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us. You never quit on us. In Jesus' name, amen.